to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me as always are my two co-hosts. I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in the D.C. area. And I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. So today we're going to be talking about something in the landscape of pop culture that a lot of people have a lot of opinions about, and that is fandom. The communities made up by fans of books or TV shows or movies and the relationships they build and kind of how it interacts with these stories. Um, so before we get started, I just want to, do you guys have any experience in fandom? Were you guys in fandom growing up or are you still in fandom? What's your relationship with that in general? Like like an active member on like a message board or, or something yeah. or like with, with like constantly like on the tumblr tag well, what, i mean whatever your relationship is just what is your relationship to fandom always been on the outset for me i've okay. never been one driving conversations or being a part of them i've always been kind of like an onlooker the that's just based on my personality i'm a very shy person and non-confrontational and i don't want i and i don't like you know like i took don't talk to strangers on the internet to heart um as a small child and like growing up, that's always been like a thing. So like I, you know, I, everyone I know on Twitter, I follow back as usually a friend or someone I know. Um, same on Facebook and Instagram and all that. So I'm like very close to the chest when it comes to like who I want to engage with online. Yeah. Um, but I've seen a lot of damning things in fandom that we can talk about. Um, so most recently, uh, or yeah, I'll, We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, go. So I'm pretty much the exact opposite of you. Um, I've been heavily involved in fandom my whole life, um, especially um, high school and early college years were kind of my most active years. I'm far less active now, um, but especially Live Journal was a big thing for me with fandom. Um, I actually mm-hmm. have a lot of online friends who I have met in person and who are some of my best friends today. Um, that I've known since, like, middle school, high school. Um, and I usually, I met pretty much all of them on LiveJournal. Um, and I was always kind of, like, I was in a lot of fandoms, but I was, like, heavily involved in just, like, certain ones at a time. So Harry Potter was a big one for me, and I was actively involved. I did a lot of, um, Harry Potter role-playing on forum boards. Um, I was always Marauder's Era. It was always the role-playing that I did. Um, typically played James was my go-to, of course. Um, and then I was pretty involved in Doctor Who and then the first couple seasons of Once Upon a Time um, and made a lot of friends, a lot of theorizing, was very actively involved. So I have a really complicated view of fandom because it's done a lot of good for me and I can see a lot of the good that it does, but I've also seen how toxic it can be. So yeah, I have a very personal relationship with fandom. Um, what about you, HT? Um, I'm also I'm kind of a combination of you two because I have long been have long been involved in many fandoms. Uh, Tumblr was a big sort of launching catalyst for all of those because that in- opened me up to a whole new world of fandoms. That's when I got involved with Doctor Who. Um, definitely, Game of Thrones actually brought me on to. Um, watching the show and reading the books because of some Tumblr gift sets that I read, I saw on, t- on it's amazing. Um, yeah. 
Do you want to hear the story? It's kind of yes. great. So yes. I think I know the story. Yeah, I told it to Willoughby. So um, I was scrolling through and I saw this gift set of when Arya, uh, when Gendry finds out that Arya is a girl. And this was from season two of Game of Thrones. And I had not watched any of the first season. And I was like, oh, that looks kind of interesting and fun because it's a cute scene. And so I went into their tag and was like looking up scenes of them. And then I ended up... Before I read any of the Song of Ice and Fire books and before I watched any episode of Game of Thrones, I went into Archive of Our Own and read this really yes. this really uh, complex and like very well-written uh, fanfic of Arya and Gendry. Um, it's called No Feather Bed for Me. It's a great, it's a great <laughs> like 40-chapter fanfic. Amazing. So I got into that and was reading it. And, of course, it had, like, a couple spoilers for the book. So then I started reading the books, and then I started watching the show. It so all. that's how fandom has always been, like, very involved in my personal experience with watching shows and reading uh, and watching movies and everything. More so shows than anything like that. But uh, even growing up, I was a huge part of the Kingdom Hearts fandom. Uh, I would go to KHNet and... Uh, look up on lurk on the forums and look up all the updates and read about all of these sort of diary entries from um i think it was xehanort's i don't know it's like the, the diary entries that like clues about the yeah it was like all the the plot points yes. and um i was also big in the anime fandom i had a crunchy little account and i was the admin for a an utada hikaru uh fan page on Crunchyroll. so yeah you're learning all things about me i relate to this so deeply i'm also mm-hmm. a thick reader so i get you ao3 is a top-notch place it is it's they they have some good works out they there they really do <laughs> quality writers so definitely fandom i've had a close relationship with i've met a, i met a couple people when i was on Crunchyroll, and i even like was facebook friends with them for a little bit uh i met some people on twitter because of sort of this k-pop fandom i guess you would say like i met um this one writer who is a regular contributor to billboard uh about k-pop and we even like had coffee in new york and everything like that so we regularly talk and i think fandom is a really great way of bringing people together with common interests but you know like like this episode is going to tackle it has its own problems that have sort of manifested very recently but have become like a big portion of just fandom so with this positive outlook from me and ht let's dive into why fandom can be a bad thing (laughs) just completely flip the script (laughs) we're calling this episode a crisis on infinite fandoms for two reasons one i really liked coming up with that title it's a good title i wanted to do an episode around it it is but also the second reason is that there's a lot of crises going on in pop culture particularly in the fandom side uh, and particularly, what spurred the, the 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 idea for a title for this for an episode is this really lengthy, in depth tweet essay about the DC expanded universe fandom. And what happened is that this guy wrote a very well written breakdown of the DC, basically the DC movie fandom from the early two thousands to now essentially basically from the beginning of batman begins when that was all announced to now with justice league coming out um and it basically documented like uh, three major factors that contributed to a very toxic culture right now of 
critics uh, getting death threats from a lot of DC fans for not liking their movies. Um, that happened, That I think the first time that really happened was with The Dark Knight Rises. That was like the first Christopher Nolan movie that was not as well-received well as um, the, the, his other movies. I think Inception might have all had that, but because of the fact that it was a Batman movie... And the Dark Knight was so well regarded in so many ways by so many people. The fact that the Dark Knight Rises did not live up to the expectations that the Dark Knight set forth, the the fandom went crazy and gave death threats to a lot of people um, for not liking the movie. It was crazy. Um, and this and now with the whole Rotten Tomatoes thing, you know, Rotten Tomatoes. We did a whole episode about it. Has become a lot more prominent in how people select which movies they're going to and the fact that overwhelming majority of critics don't like the dc movies but they do like the marvel movies there's this quote-unquote conspiracy that uh rotten tomatoes is you know a shill for marvel or whatever and they're you know they put their scale their thumb on the scale for marvel and not for dc because dc's got the highest besides wonder woman the average dc movie is around 47 percent rotten tomatoes we should add Um, that this is absurd and no critic goes into a movie wanting it to be bad. No, that's what's great about critics. Critics are amazing because they love movies. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They watch movies and they think critically about it. That's the definition of a movie critic. But somehow they think they go in... I mean, obviously, three mov- three or four, five movies into a, to a franchise and four of them have had lower than 50%. You're going to go in with lowered expectations for a movie... Um, and maybe with a little bit more hope because Wonder Woman was so good, but the fact that Justice League was still getting terrible reviews and like raging tweets about how bad the critics are because they love Marvel is absurd. Um, so that's a kind of a breakdown as to why I want to talk about this episode. That was a little bit lengthy, but why don't we dive into some of the issues with fandom? Uh, it's a heavy, a heavy subject, but let's talk about harassment. And just, like, the fact that there's so much harassment going on. Just diving right with, in. Like, critics and stuff. Yeah. I mean, what else? Do we want to talk, start with that? No, no, that's else? fine. Um, I mean, because we can tie that into DC and, like, the harassment of critics. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, people like um, Anita... What's her last name? So we're... Sar- Sarkeesian. 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 And especially how it's geared towards women. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly, like, Gamergate is, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other episode idea. Yeah, but um, there is but... this idea, um, especially when it, when you, when it becomes gendered like this, um, which I think you can often see in these DC examples that you're talking about of, like, death threats and things like that, is that there's this idea of gatekeeping, um, which is basically more or less where you know, fans have control of, like, closing and opening the gates into a fandom and into, like, being a fan. And this is often seen in regards to men doing it towards women, um, especially yes. in geeky fandoms like Star Wars or comics or Star Trek and, like, women not knowing as much or they like it for, you know, flimsy feminine reasons, whatever that is. Um, I think one of the biggest times the first one of the first times i saw this online was when the avengers premiered in 2012 and there were a lot of women who had either only seen a couple of the movies or just the avengers but they really fell in love with the characters and uh, and then a lot of men 
were gatekeeping like the Marvel movies and like the Mar like oh it's not like this really or you know your interpretation of the character is wrong. Um and so there was a lot of that going on. That was the first time I really saw it like kind of become it's the whole super toxic. It's the whole comic book shop mentality yes. where, you know, yeah. these these men have grown up for years thinking that they were the classic underdogs who were underappreciated and like were outcasts in society because of their interests and because like they like nerdy things. And so when this their interests become start becoming more mainstream, they feel almost like betrayed by the fact and that threatened. yeah and then, and like threatened too uh by the fact that other people like this and they're not as you know derided or as um outcast as them and then it's just it just turns out that the reason that they cannot get along with women or that they can't you know have be have decent conversations is because maybe they're assholes i have a funny story about this yeah and that one time um, I was at a store and I was wearing a Star Wars shirt and this like the this young guy who was like at our cash register asked me if I really liked Star Wars. Oh, did he think you were a fake Probably. Geek girl? And then I jokingly was said like sarcastically was like, No, I'm just wearing this shirt because it's pretty. Um and then he said to me, Oh, it's just that pretty girls don't like Star Wars. Which that weird, like, trying to compliment me but insulting me. How old was this dude? And yeah, was yes, he nagging basically. you? Yeah, that's yeah, nagging. <laughs> and then he basically like then he started like trying to tell me all these facts about Star Wars that I wouldn't know because I'm a girl. Um, and asked me like my favorite movie and the franchise and like all these things. And it was very much like, I know you wouldn't be treating a man wearing a Star Wars shirt this way. Right. You should have trolled him and said, no, attack the Phantom Menace. I, I was honestly, it was Return of the Jedi, and he was so surprised by that. Um, and he was probably, I'm sure he was, like, ran through the head of, like, oh, you're a girl, you must like Ewoks. Um, but <laughs> Ewoks are adorable, by the way. Ewoks, Ewoks are, great. are great. Porgs are going to be great. I'm porgs so are going to be great. Porgs, porgs are great. Oh Hashtag Porg life. Hashtag Porg nation. So there is this kind of idea of, like, um... Yeah, like, these underdogs, and, like, we've been here longer, and, like, we know it better than you do. Um, and that idea also, like, when people, like, criticize other people for becoming fans, like, jumping on the bandwagon, even though it's, like, Mm -hmm. you can become a fan whenever you like, and for whatever reason you like, and we're all here to just celebrate the things we like, and you see that. And you should be happy that people, more people are becoming fans of this thing that you love because then you can share it with more people and it can become and more, more popular so- and, um, yeah, have, there'll be more products and there'll be more stories or, uh, merchandise related to this thing that you love. Yeah. And like, it's so, it's like, it baffles me that it's so bad, but then it doesn't because it's, and we see the same thing in the DC fandom that you're talking about, Willoughby, in that like a lot of the critiques of critics who are reviewing the DC movies is like, you don't understand these characters. You don't know these characters. Right. To which... The movies aren't made for critics. Uh, yes. They're made for fans. To which, like, I hate that argument because, like, no, they're made for the mass public because the studios want to make a lot of money. Um, and, like... Right. Warner Brothers is making this for the yeah. lowest common denominator. And, like, to be honest, movies. like, these movies <laughs> should appeal to more than just comic book fans. And, like, if someone who's never read the comics can't understand it, that's a problem. 
I also think that the 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 production the studio don't understand fans because they made Steppenwolf their villain of Justice League. I uh, yeah, and he's like a C list villain from like nineteen seventy two, which is unfortunate because the DC Comics universe has such a great rogues yes. gallery, and they pick Steppenwolf right. of all villains. Villains are kind of their thing, yeah. whereas Marvels are like their heroes. Mm-hmm. I mean, DC heroes are great too. It's it's weird. Either way, <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you, like a man does. <laughs> He's fine. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so it's just this weird thing where then it feels scary and toxic to enter a fandom and to say you're a fan. Yeah. And you know, let's let's talk about that about how like it's limiting people who want to be fans of something. Have you guys ever experienced that or? witnessed it or do you have any thoughts on it the rick and morty i've wanted to get into rick and morty for a while and and by that i mean i always see it on hulu as a show i should watch um and but every time i think about it i think about the fandom because it's super toxic and if you if you if for some reason you haven't heard about the rick and morty fandom look up rick and morty fans uh bombard mcdonald's for szechuan sauce for the mulan like special sauce that they made when that movie came out it's a lot and it was it was this and it wasn't even in like the what mcdonald's was doing wasn't even officially endorsed it wasn't a a product tie-in with rick and morty they just like oh we'll do this fun thing for a little bit because they were also celebrating their sauces for like the month of october you know i don't know why it's weird (laughs) mcdonald's is weird but they were like, we're going to, you know, release a certain amount of the Mulan sauce for a while and for like a weekend and you can get like a certain amount, but it, w- it was extremely limited and Rick and Morty fans, mostly male and mostly white, um, came to all these McDonald's across the nation and, and harassing these, you know, these workers who are just there for their shift they're not there for the celebration they're there to get money and get paid and get out and harassing them for like why why don't we have the special sauce why isn't the Szechuan sauce here like what's going on and so i was watching this unfold on twitter like you know just search for rick and morty mcdonald's and it was it was insane and it was also like almost it was a very visual encapsulation encapsulation that's not a word encapsulation of toxic fandom and just like this mob of mostly dudes um barraging a you know a helpless mcdonald's like they're just trying to do their job and get people food like they have drive throughs to do and orders to get done bombarding them with questions oh loud annoying questions as to why isn't there more sauce what's with the sauce like why and it was just so crazy and I was like, oh, this is this is why I don't want to watch the show and get involved with being a fan of the show because I don't want to be lumped into that group because I'm a straight white male. And my I mean, I'm I like to think of myself as woke. A good a good person. I would say woke, but not, you know, <laughs> but not you know, I'm I'm as woke as I can be as a white a straight white yes. male. Yeah. Um but the the seeing that whole thing happen just really turned me off of watching the show. Yeah, and I I've get heard, that. I've heard from good people and smart people that the show is great. Like it's very funny and very fun and very smart and very like. But its fandom heavy. is pretty rough. It was created by Dan Harmon, who did Community, which it- I also love, and he's a very smart uh, showrunner and writer and very funny. So I was like, 
I want to get into this, but I can't because the fandom is terrible. Yeah, HT, what do you think? I do want to say that I don't think toxic fandom is limited only to the white male variety either. It definitely Mm -hmm. exists in fandoms that are, you know, largely women or largely teen girls, because I think the internet is definitely a sort of um, enabler of these more uh, high demands from fans who think that, you know, these showrunners or creators are um, beholden to them. So mm. they uh, are owed something by these fans because, you know, the characters or whatever property is owned by them versus what whoever created it. So, right, like a death of the artist situation. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's fascinating to me. Like, this is not really related to, like, pop culture so much, but I've seen a lot in, like, Stan Twitter, if you guys know about that, which is Twitter that has to do with, like, musicians and all of, like, their really rabid fans uh, yes. who, who kind of use Twitter as sort of, like, this sort of forum and community to talk about their the love for these artists. Um, and Stan Twitter is definitely a huge part of K-pop Twitter, which is really scary to see. Um, This writer that I was speaking about earlier, uh, who I became friends with over K-pop, she uh, writes a lot about BTS, which is this new sort of up-and-coming K-pop band who have recently performed at the AMAs, the American Music Awards. Uh, oh, I heard about basically that. Basically based on the um, the influence and the power of their fandom. But their fandom is scary. Um, so my friend has been writing a lot of BTS articles because like, they're, becoming, they're becoming more popular and more um, prevalent. But then like they recently accused her, like this fandom accused her of you know, writing on BTS's success and trying to take advantage of their success to, uh, you know, prop up her articles or do or uh, prop up other boy bands in her articles and she started getting death threats based on like these articles that she was writing that were very innocuous it was very odd she was getting like these death threats and um at one point she was uh considering leaving twitter because just of how toxic this fandom was and um yeah it's it's definitely a problem that's not relegated solely to you know the comic book male nerdy fandom but it's something that i think is widespread and it's becoming more widespread throughout all sources of like uh pop culture and things that people are passionate about and i wonder if there's like a certain cause or trigger for it um do you guys think that maybe the rise of social media and the creators and the and um, these properties becoming closer to the fans in general uh is sort of enabling this sort of toxic fandom yes i think the internet and particularly like social media websites that allow you to talk to pe- people that you want to talk to ha- creates, we, we talk about bubbles in like the liberal bubble of politics, but there's also like bubbles that a lot of people get into. Like Reddit is a huge thing, you know, just that's literally designed to talk to people that you have similar interests with about, and you know, the different sub subreddits and those can get real, real hectic, real fast. Um, and Tumblr and tags and, you know, just get going into the Tumblr tag of a, of a fandom can be very stressful if you want to just look up, like, news or something. <laughs> um, and it's definitely, I think, I mean, I obviously can't talk about what life was like before the internet because I wasn't born, you know, I was or I wasn't conscious of my own life. <laughs> you know, I was, like, three. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm sure, I mean, I know that, you know, in the 60s and 70s, like, there, you know, that's Star Trek basically survived based on the fans. Um, and 
that's you know fan conventions became a thing so like in letter writing campaigns i remember i've heard the story when michael keaton was written uh was cast as batman and he was primarily known as a comedic actor that Mr. Uh, Mom. Tons of fans wrote in to Warner Brothers saying, like, this is a terrible thing. You know, like, uh, what's his face? Uh, what's, uh, Tim Burton was getting, mm-hmm. like, uh, angry, angry letters. Like, they were, it was like a letter writing campaign to, like, end Michael Keaton's thing as Batman. And it's, it's the same thing we saw when Ben Affleck was cast, was like an or uproar. Heath Ledger but it was, is the it was Joker. online. Or Heath Ledger as the Joker, which was even before social media. It was like right before social media took off. Um, so there was all this, like, there's always a mob mentality to decisions that are made in pop culture that may not necessarily at first be, or I I guess I'm not saying it correctly. So like Michael, I really like Michael Keaton as Batman, but if I was alive and I saw a comedic actor, like cast as Batman, I may have been a little mad about it. Cause I was like, Oh, I want someone else who was, you know, more established as like a dark brooding figure. But I get, I, I like, I, it's weird, you know? I think it's definitely it's becoming just, more, uh, more visible. Um, like yeah. we have, we've, I mean, it's stre- this kind of fandom has stretched back to Arthur Conan Doyle, for example, and killing off yep, Sherlock right. Holmes and fan, uh, are like fan passionate about it, basically bringing Sherlock Holmes back from the dead. Uh, that's like a huge example from like, when was that written like the 1900s 1885. 1800s yeah so definitely yeah. like it's it's existed before the internet but i think the internet has is definitely has become a huge factor in bringing it to more it, light it's really it took it, it it um i'm trying to come up with a word um uh it almost like calcified like calcified it and became cancerous yeah like mm-hmm. and the lines of, are like, this... blurring like of where the lines are between so? like creators and fans and like i think one of the big dangers is like when fans get access to creators and can then try and demand things of them and harass them and you know at that point it's like you know it's that idea of creators caving into fans instead of like telling their vision or, you know, it's one thing when it's lost and it's Nikki and Paolo and they just kill him <laughs> off after a couple episodes. That wasn't really like, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. But then there are things that really compromise, you know, a story because fans can bombard them on Twitter or send them, you know, letters and it becomes a very, like, dangerous thing and it can hurt everyone watching even if you're not involved in that like bombardment yeah i definitely agree with that because i think it's it's a blessing twitter is a blessing and a curse more so of a curse (laughs) it's become our own hell on earth yeah um but you know it, it i like i once tweeted i you know i've tweeted at celebrities and they've responded and you know like saying like oh i really like your work and i was like oh that's cool um and they, like, respond back and say, like, oh, thank you so much, or something like that. Like, or, like, you know, Twitter Q&As are always fun, because you might get the chance to, like, have a celebrity answer your question or whatever. Um, but then there's also, like, oh, a showrunner did something bad on a show, and people didn't like it, and so now there's a bombardment, and now there's showrunners off Twitter. Um, so- which, there are, like, it's happened where it's justified, and then there's times when it's not justified. And I think, you know, it's... 
it's become, but it's all, that's also blurring of just like outrage culture. So I want to ask you guys what you think the future of fandom is or what it could be. I mean, I hope it's something good question. Positive. I always do. Um, I think I really hope it's something that's more diverse. Um, you know, I'm really hoping to see um, more acceptance of more fans of color and queer fans who then, you know, can become creators themselves. And I think ultimately, as we move forward, like progress is always something that is forward moving. Um, and so I really hope to see um, just more diversity, I guess. You know, one of my big problems, HT, you were saying how, like, this problem isn't limited to just, like, white men, and that's very true, because as a queer woman, I often feel, you know, sometimes shut out of certain things in fandom, um, and there's a weird tendency, I've seen this a lot, mostly from straight women in fandom, who kind of fetishize queer characters, Um, Mm -hmm. And it's very strange for me because I obviously want representation very badly. Um, More bisexual women and more queer women and more trans characters. And, but then I see the way that sometimes like straight fans can latch onto it. And it almost makes me feel like I'm not welcome to my own representation because of the way it's like fetishized. And so it's weird when like straight fans can become gatekeepers of queer characters or, like, fan, or, like, shipping them, like, um, without being canon and things. So, like, I'm hoping that, like, yeah. with more diverse creators and more diverse fans, like, we can kind of claim our stories and have a more open, um, understanding space, I guess. Very optimistic and idealistic, of course. I like that idea of the future of <laughs> fandom, Anya. Um, Willoughby, what do you think? Well, I'd like to be more optimistic. Um, right now, it it's tough. It seems like everything's yeah. in the gutter. Um, and I think as more people maybe see more the errors of their ways, you know, and like, you know, look at this at the quote unquote black mirror of the computer screen and like take a look at themselves and be like, oh, did I what? What I just said to that showrunner who's never met me, was that a good thing to say or was that a bad thing to say? And I think that people, you know, we're in a weird transition period where most of us on the internet have always kind of had it, maybe. And like less, you know, like older people aren't really like as active as we are. And then there's the younger generation who's kind of like, like, you know, if they were born in 1995, they were five when 2000 was, and the internet was a big thing But at that point. So, like, as the culture grows up, it, it could be that just, like, the bulk of people who are online right now maybe aren't as mature as they should be, or, they, or you know, to talk about things in a mature manner, and it's very outrage-based. And, you know, when you're a teenager or a young adult, like, everything is kind of, like, very emotional. And, like, if things don't go certain ways, it's the end of the world. I mean, so, like, there's all that. You know, like, I've definitely looked at myself, you know, like, my Facebook on this day thing, you know, ten years ago, eight years ago. And yeah, going, oh, I, I feel that, too. That was a bad it's thing so, to say. time hop is, like, or like it's great, but it's also time, so, you know, like, second, like, embarrassment for my past self. Time hop is great. 
for everything that I ever did from 2011 yeah. <laughs> onwards. Before that yep. was a shit show and I should should be thrown <laughs> in the garbage. Um so like I you know, I think everyone has to have those moments if they don't already have them. Of just kind of like self-aware. Like like do like treat others the way you want to be treated. The golden rule should be applied to the internet. And, and if it's not, fix that. Good. Yes. What about you, HT? Do you have, are you a cynic for the future? Are you optimistic? Are you a realist? How do you fall down on the future of fandom? Being on the internet every day, I feel like I'm slowly becoming more of a cynic just because I think that the internet, social media, Twitter is becoming more of a cesspool and definitely a breeding ground for toxic ideas and toxic um, sort of uh, behaviors. But I do think that it is up to sometimes the creators, these showrunners, these people who are putting out this content or um, movies that these people love and uh, taking a step, telling yeah. basically telling their fans to stop. <laughs> it's up to them. It's on, it's on them to try to change this behavior for the better because they have the most power as the ones who are actually creating these characters or shows. I, want, I don't want to want them to like, hold these characters hostage, for example, and say, like, you won't get any more shows if you're being terrible, but maybe that's what it has to come to. Because <laughs> maybe we have to turn this car around. Maybe we do. So, I don't know. I think, yeah, the fans, they they can be changed. They can be turned around. Um, but I think it'll take something drastic. Uh, hopefully not something violent, but, you know, something that has to do with bettering themselves um, behaviorally and on the internet and... I'm not really sure what they if there's an exact answer for it, but I hope I hope we can achieve that that dream of a better fandom future like Anya is dreaming. Dream of tomorrow. Dream of tomorrow. I think that's a great way to wrap up our uh, discussion on toxic fandoms or a crisis on infinite fandoms. Um, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you, but I need to tell you something. All right. Uh, Anya, why don't you start start us off this week? What do you really like? All right. BuzzFeed Unsolved. Guys, I am in a hole. A deep, dark, supernatural hole. BuzzFeed Unsolved for those who don't know. Oh, I'm gonna. Okay, cool. I'm gonna. (laughs) So BuzzFeed Unsolved is one of BuzzFeed Video's original series. um, And it basically is like a ghost hunter, true crime, you know, solving mysterious cases sort of show they um have five seasons total right now three supernatural seasons and two true crime seasons and each episode is just focused on one case that is not solved yet is a cold case essentially um and there are two hosts there's ryan and there's shane and what makes it really fun is that they're both really funny and really charismatic hosts but ryan is a big believer in the supernatural and alien abductions and you know, mysterious things, and Shane is a complete skeptic. He doesn't believe in any of it. And so it's a really fun dynamic, and I am basically Shane. I am one of the biggest skeptics you will ever meet. I believe in nothing. I'm a Bugara for life. Ryan. Yes. HT loves Ryan. I love Shane. I'm a never, bit of a, like... 
I've never watched any of this stuff, but I will immediately, I'm going to side with Ryan just because I also believe in the supernatural. Because if you don't, then how do you explain ancient aliens? Willoughby. There are no ancient aliens. That's a myth. Willoughby, have you ever seen the meme that says, that's like a guy in um, Night Hey demons, it's your boy. Yes, that's from BuzzFeed. I think I retweet that a lot. That's Shane, because that's me, and I love him, and I'm a skeptic, and there are no such thing as ancient aliens, and that's all a myth, and ghosts aren't real, and spirits aren't real, and supernatural's not real. How do you explain Aliens are real, they haven't been to Earth yet. Like, it's fine. Ghosts are definitely real, anyway. yeah. I mean, E.T. was a documentary. <laughs> so, get out. So, so, like, <laughs> so I love, like, mysterious cases like this because... I'm a skeptic, and so I like to solve mysteries because I think there's an explanation for everything, like a logical explanation. And if we haven't found it yet, it just means science hasn't gotten there no, yet. There is an explanation. Ghosts. Magic is just science no. that you haven't explained yet. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, long-winded way of saying, um, I've watched a couple episodes here and there before, but this past week I decided to sit down and actually watch like all the seasons in order and like watch them all because they're just so much fun and I love... Um, spooky stuff like that. I'm, as HT and I are continue our journey with like horror and things like that, this is one of my next steps. <laughs> yeah, um, believe. Play in this space with us, Anya. Play with us. Uh, no, I'm a skeptic and I'm no. very happy to stay a skeptic. <laughs> then what happened to Danny Phantom? You can't explain that with science. Sure, I can. Ghost. It's called animation and fiction. <laughs> anyway, so I love BuzzFeed Unsolved. I think it's a really fun series. Um, I'm excited for more. Uh, the third season of Supernatural just finished. Not the CW show. But Not BuzzFeed the CW Unsolved, show. Supernatural. Um, and I just think it's a really fun show. And Shane for life. Ryan. Ryan's my boy. <laughs> Ryan doesn't follow me on Twitter yet, but Shane does. I want to believe. Jealous. I know. So I'm... Yeah, I'm also a big fan of BuzzFeed Unsolved, Anya. It's actually how Rebecca, who hosted, who uh, guested on the show before, we uh, bonded over that. And, like, we, even though we live in separate cities now, we will continue to watch BuzzFeed Unsolved episodes together and talk about it. She's a, she's a Shaniac like you, Anya. Yes, um, Shaniacs. But it's, uh, I started watching since, like, the beginning. I think one of the earlier episodes was the Eliza Lamb episode. Yes. That was creepy because there's video footage um but obviously i mean she could which again there's an explanation so or is there the, you know what the explanation could be it could be ghosts yeah well she yes she was bipolar so she was having an episode yes that's like it's too. a psychological explanation did... the thing i don't know for that one is how they got her body in the water tank yeah. how did she end that's up in the I water tank know. naked oh i know about this one it was ghosts no yeah and possession and exorcism and guys all right come on willoughby what is your yes. really like for this week it's your really like from last week i saw coco ah, yay i was a week late because of traveling issues so i couldn't see coco at the same time you guys did but i saw it on friday and it brought me to tears and it's so gorgeous and emotional it's gorgeously emotional and emotionally gorgeous. I, that's what I've been saying all weekend. The movie's so good. Um, 
And yeah, like particularly like once like the plot twists were coming over, like, you know, like I was starting to understand what was happening. I was like, oh, I'm going to get real sad, aren't I? And then I did. Yep. But it was also like cathartic. And also like it reminded me a lot of Spirited Away um, and a lot of Miyazaki's uh, of, of a lot of his stuff. Um, and I thought I was like, oh, this is fun. This is really cool. Um, and Unfortunately, I got, we got, when my girlfriend and I saw it, we went to Georgetown and we were trying out her movie pass because I didn't get mine yet. And because you have to do same day stuff. So we couldn't order the Georgetown tickets ahead of time. So we actually ended up on the front row of of Georgetown. So like, it was rough, but also it wasn't as bad. And I will say, I have a hot take on the Frozen short. Oh boy. I liked it. Yay! It wasn't bad. The songs were not. It's adorable. Great. The songs were not the best. They were better than Frozen it w- Fever. It was long, and it should have been on ABC, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't horrendous. It was. It didn't want to make me gouge my eyes out. Here, I liked it. More important question, Willoughby. <sighs> yes. Are you going to join HTNI in our crush on Hector, the animated skeleton? <laughs> uh, I will. Re- I will reserve that space for you guys. But I did Hector. love. His acting, Gael Garcia Bernal's acting, was amazing as Hector, um, and just the whole the whole cast was great. It felt really real and authentic, um, and so did the Frozen short. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but um, but like no, I really liked Olaf. You know, Josh Gad has some good one liners in that. The uh, princess one liner is hilarious. You're a princess. Oh, you don't it's have so to settle. Good. It's I so laughed good. so like, hard. That's a fine line. My girlfriend and I were discussing it. It should have been on ABC, but it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a good short. I'm sorry, guys. I did not think it was a good short. I think... I could I could tell where the commercial breaks were. Those That was obvious. But it wasn't... It didn't want to make me die. It didn't want to make me, like, go, like, you know, I feel like the world was ending. Let's be real. So. The reason they attached it to Coco is so they could have an Oscar contender. Yeah. For shorts? Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. If well, that one gets nominated for an Oscar, Oscar, I would be very upset. Hey, Boss Baby will get an Oscar nomination for Best Animated Picture. So okay. Anyways, <laughs> HT, what's your really? Let's talk about something that you really like instead of something you really hate. Uh, my really like this week is the Disaster Artist. Yay! I went to see Ooh. it this morning. Uh, hence being a little late. For the episode, sorry guys. Yeah, she was forty five thousand minutes I'm late. Sorry. Just kidding. But I, I really enjoyed it. It was laugh out loud funny, and it was surprisingly endearing and um, a heartwarming tale of just the guy who dealt, who dared to dream too hard. You read the book, I right? I believe you were t- you. You actually made that you really like an ep- I one did. episode. It was actually quite different than the book, more than I expected, because the book itself sort of emphasized this sort of co- this codependent, almost toxic friendship between uh, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero, and that was the the core of the book. Uh, whereas here, the film makes the core theme um, about just. Make, trying to make it in Hollywood and trying to be like trying to achieve that dream and like that earnest hope for fame and glory and everything like that. Actually, 
I kept thinking that it would make a really great thematic sequel to, well, La La Land, like as a double feature, because they deal with very similar issues and and uh, concepts, but it's just kind of the reversal of that in terms of like La La Land has the success story, whereas uh, the disaster artist has the opposite. <laughs> it's a it's a spectacular failure, but in a way that actually becomes a sort of success story. It's sort of like the underbelly version of what we see versus in La La Land. Honestly, I'd like to see the numbers on how much money the, the room has made through all these midnight screenings over the past 15 years. Like, that, they probably made a profit. Yeah, they definitely did. They turned a profit ever since um, they started, ever since they first released it. So it's quite, it's it's a more earnest film than I expected. It's not just, you know, a laughing out loud about how... Uh, how incompetent this guy is it's just kind of like oh he was a dreamer and he may not have had the talent he may not have had you know the skill but he tried and that's what's important i thought that was a really interesting sort of take on the whole thing a real here's to the ones who dream it was very much of that alley so i think if you like it was directed by james franco right james franco was amazing in it I think he'll definitely get an Oscar nomination at the least. And <laughs> do you think he'll get a Best Director? I may. Like, how, what's the what? What are these? Ch- what's the chance for this movie made by the super bad and uh, um, Pineapple Express dudes? It was a well directed film, although at times it just felt like James Franco was a uh, was a Room Uber fan and just wanted an excuse to recreate scenes from the Room. But it was uh, still a good film, um, like directing wise. I'm not sure if it'll get a nomination just because it's a pretty strong field, but. It was Guillermo del Toro film. for Best Director. Oh, definitely. Um, so I no I recommend it. It's a great film. It's it's uh, got a lot of great cameos from all the the James Franco and Judd Apatow crowd, and uh, you'll have a lot of fun watching so, it. All right. I've never seen The Room, and I've never seen like I've never really been a like an enthusiast or like curious to see The Room. If I just go in it blind, will I like yes, it? Yes, definitely. It's definitely made more for people who will go in blind anyways, um, because it's okay. less about, you know, the room itself and more about, you know, like like I said, it's about these dreamers and these people who are not talented but who wish that they were and, like, will try and strive for it anyways. It's very, like, classic American dream sort of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's A24, right? They, they produced it? It is A24, who are killing it again this year, as they did yeah. last year. Florida Project, what Florida Project, Lady Bird. Uh, disaster artist. Oh, yeah. yeah. So look forward to A24 and more to come and watch The Disaster Artist. Sounds good. Well, that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on fandom or BuzzFeed Unsolved or Coco or The Disaster Artist, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Um, our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com or you can listen to us that's the word you can listen to us on soundcloud and you can also uh listen to us on itunes and google play and please rate review and subscribe to us there um and don't forget real real soon in about three or four weeks is our 100th episode we want to make sure that you know about our really like of the year in which you can send us a voice memo of your voice um, telling us what you really like about 2017 in pop culture, and we'll we'll probably uh, put it on the episode, and we'll talk about it, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
So that's that's for our hundredth episode. So please send those in um, to Millennial Falcon Podcast at gmail dot com. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htrendbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.